This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello everybody, welcome to the Broadcast Podcast. We're going to be taking a little break from our series in this episode to bring you a special conversation we're having with Matt Hatch. We're going to be talking about the area of discipleship, which is something that Matt has been thinking about for uh, for all of his ministry, but in recent times uh, has put some of that thinking down uh, into a new book as well. So we'll explore the topic. We'll also uh, talk a little bit about the book. But um, it's great to have you with us, Matt. why don't you kick off just by telling us a little bit about who you are, what are some of the things that, that you're up to at the moment as well? Yeah, thanks, Tom. Really, really good to be joining you. I really appreciate being asked on to this. Um, yeah, I'm married to Philippa. Uh, we've got three grown-up kids. So literally about six weeks ago, we became empty nesters for the first time. Um, and work-wise, uh, I'm a hub leader for Catalyst. I lead the team that leads Mosaic. I live in East Leeds, which um, uh, we moved here a couple of years ago. I, I live on what's reportedly Europe's largest council estate. Um, but I know you speak to any church planter, they always tell you they're sort of like the, the second or, f- or the worst council estate in Europe. But uh, it's definitely really big. And uh, we've got an amazing, like with the salt of the earth here, proper Yorkshire Leeds folk. I remember that on one of the first nights getting here, so we moved in July 2021. I remember walking outside about 9 p.m. at night and I had four large neighbours all stood on my, I've got like a stone wall that's part of the, the boundary to myself and a neighbour. And one of them had a gun. And uh, they looked pretty formidable. And so there I was with my washing basket, just about to bring my washing in and uh, never met them before. And I, said, I didn't really know what to say, but I said, I said, hello, evening. What are you guys up to? And um, apparently someone had just sort of bunked over the fence and uh, they didn't like the look of them. So they all sort of came piling out. And uh, one of them had... Um, I think they play airsoft or something like that. So it looked like a real guy. It was an actual gun. And they turned out to be the nicest guys I've ever met. And they said to me, look, um, we had someone steal something from our garden about 12 years ago. And um, uh, they're not going to do that again. So if you have any trouble around here, you just let us know. And uh, we've got your back. And so that was my sort of entrance into life in East Leeds. And uh, we absolutely love it here and uh, we've made some really good friends. Wow, that's quite the initiation into the neighbourhood, <laughs> isn't it? I think you were terrified when you saw the gun there. Absolutely. Um, so you say you're leading Mosaic Church. That's a church you planted, isn't it? How long have you been in Leeds and um, building Mosaic? Yeah, so we moved uh, from Bedford about 20 years ago um, and uh, we really felt that Leeds uh, as a northern city was sort of very underrepresented in church planting and churches. Uh, We were really drawn to the city. Um, It felt, you know, a massive challenge. I'm from London. My wife's from Hampshire. It felt very up north at the time. And, um, 
yeah, we really sensed the Lord sort of give us faith for the city. And so we spent a couple of years just trying to find our feet. Uh, I needed to find work. And then we managed, by the grace of God, to sort of find a, a, a very small group of people to help us. And then really things have taken off from there. We're a multi-congregational church now. So uh, we've got three uh, congregations or sites that um, we are sort of still under the banner of Mosaic, but we've got, we're reaching very different neighborhoods. Uh, they've each got their own sort of leaders and leadership teams. And uh, we've planted a whole number of, of churches. I mean, excitingly, a, a church we planted maybe about 12 years ago called the Oak Church, which is in West Leeds. They are planting a church um, in 2024 into East Leeds, which is where we live now. And probably out of the whole of the city, the east of the city is the most underrepresented with um, churches that are life giving. And so we're super excited that uh, those guys, Jack and Mez Carter, are going to be planting there. That's really great. So you get to be like a church planting grandparent church then. That's quite a milestone to hit, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. What a privilege. Yeah. Um, so you recently released this book. Uh, metamorphosis and um, uh, it's, it's a great book uh, i love the cover design i love the content i've read it over the last uh, couple of weeks um, tell us a little bit about um why now why, why have you chosen to write this book at, at this point what's the story yeah why the topic as well like it's a book about discipleship so um having read it i i know part of the answer but it'd be great to just hear your heart and, and what brought you to the moment of I wanted to contribute to this conversation now. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, a few factors, really. I, I never, ever thought that I'd write a book. I'll be very honest. Um, that wasn't down on my job description at all. Um, but yeah, a few factors. Firstly, my life got transformed by someone discipling me. And I didn't know when I came back to God, age 21, I had no idea quite how messed up I was, how much I needed someone to help me pursue Jesus. And throughout the book, I just try and give glimpses of some of the ways in which, uh, by the grace of God, uh, things have changed in my life. And so I think when we planted Mosaic, we just knew we wanted to sort of put discipleship right in the center of things. We thought if we invest in people, if they experience transformation, then the whole church is going to be healthy. The whole church is going to be doing the stuff that Jesus wants us to do. And so that's probably the the, the biggest thing that I've, I've really spent the last 25 years trying to become someone who's good at discipling others, that's sort of learning from the best of the stuff that's out there. And I, I turned 50 um, in the middle of lockdown and it's funny, um, it was a real landmark birthday. I think when I turned 30, 40, you know, it's just like another year, not too bothered. But 50, for whatever reason, got me really thinking about sort of the next 15 years or so, legacy, multiplication, like uh, the clock's ticking. Uh, am I using what God's given me wisely? And it was out of that that I thought, man, if I write a book, about discipleship if i put in some of the things that we've learned over the years i get to sort of disciple people that aren't in front of me i, I get to share what god's given us here 
And um, it's funny, just this morning, I was reading Luke 19, the parable of the 10 miners, that idea of as God gives you a few things, he's looking for faithfulness. He's looking for you to invest what you have. And it felt like a book was a really great way to sort of expand sort of my ability to help people into discipleship that I couldn't actually do face to face. And it's funny, I started writing and found the process really difficult. I write often to speak. I don't, I don't write for people to read. And uh, I really was struggling. And I went on a prayer walk. And during the prayer walking, prayer walk, I was I was moaning to God, I think, more than anything. So look, I feel like I'm meant to do this. But, you know, we've both seen the work and we both know <laughs> how bad it is. Um you know, what What do you want me to do? And literally my phone buzzed and someone who, who did know that I'd started writing but didn't know what was going on in the moment. And, the, and she said, I've got a prophetic word for you. And I feel God wants to say to you, you, you want to give up on this book, but God says he really wants you to finish it. And it's a funny prophetic word because I mean, it was obviously the timing was immaculate, but it also left me with no choice. <laughs> I needed to finish it, even though it felt agonizing and I didn't really know where I was going with it. And so really what you've got in your hands there, Tom, is, you know, it's a result of, of, of really just someone listening to the Lord at the right time, being brave enough to send that message to me and me maybe even slightly begrudgingly, you know, choosing to obey um, what I felt God was encouraging me in. That's brilliant. It's so good, isn't it, when you see stories like that of God just working away. It's so undeniably God at work with the timing that you've just described there. Um, and actually, it's interesting, like, both on the part of uh, the person who sent you that word and for yourself, um, that was an application of a lot of what you're talking about in the book. That's discipleship at work, isn't it? Hearing God speak and then being faithful in sharing it and then being faithful in responding to well you used the word obedience in the book and mm. uh, there's an obedience thing isn't there when you get mm. that word um one of the things i really appreciate it um having heard the word disciple used a lot I, I don't think there's a church out there that would say oh no we're, we're not really into discipleship that's not our thing it's used all the time and very um very differently i i, I think like sometimes you'll hear conversations about discipleship I think I'm not sure you mean the same thing as I mean or that this person would mean or that that person would mean it it's a thing that can sometimes be quite elusive as well people can talk about discipleship in a vague way and yet you've got chapters in here where you you try and pin down what are some of the essential marks of a true disciple and you pick out these three phrases surrender encounter and obedience um, it'd be great to just um maybe unpack that a little like, what, what do you mean by those three things what what's led you to see these as the real core of what being a disciple is yeah so a disciple is a follower of jesus who's been changed by jesus and is actively involved in the mission of jesus so disciples follow and copy jesus uh, and in one sense, we all know that. And you're right. Every church is trying to get better at discipleship. And 
for us, as we've really tried to sort of specialise in disciple making uh, to make it sort of our USP, the thing that we're known for, over the years, we noticed that for the people that experienced transformation, there were some common denominators. There were some characteristics or hallmarks of their life that just meant that they were able to embrace the discipleship process in a way for those that didn't have those things, they couldn't. And this isn't a salvation issue. This isn't, you know, trying to add to the gospel. I think it was just like over time we realized, oh, when these three things happen, surrender, encounter, and obedience, that, 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 and they don't have to happen at the same time. There's no order to them. Uh, generally, we found that there's cycles of times where you feel like there's surrender or you're encountering God or you're obeying God you can hit all at the same time or can be a bit of a lull. But we, we really found those three things happening. And so the surrender piece is, is fascinating. It's um, uh, probably the clearest example of all three is Isaiah 6, when Isaiah has this incredible vision of the throne room of God and um, you you see immediately as he gets a glimpse of the throne room and the just the the edge of the robe of God and the immensity, the holiness, the power, the glory, the beauty of God. He utters from his mouth, "Woe is me!" And it, that utterance is like a, "I'm as good as dead because I've I've seen something of God," and it just breaks him in 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 all the good ways there's this opening up that you see in Isaiah that I think I have seen time and time again when people yield their lives to God they, they there's something about the gospel about Jesus about meeting with God that causes you to recognize like I am nothing without him like I, I'm not going to be able to live this life unless I let go of everything that I've been living for and like just kneel before him and offer everything that I've got. And that brokenness is, you know, I, I think I've heard over the years people not want to use that word. But for me, it means it's it's being contrite. It's being low before the Lord. It's like humility. It's this awareness of personal weakness that isn't introspective. You know, if anything, it, 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 it's sober judgment. It's it's suddenly it leaves you being able to laugh at yourself, actually, because you because you, you're just like, God, I need you. And if you don't experience that or you, and it comes in waves, it might be one big moment. It might be just a slow trickle. But if you don't have that, then the posture of your heart is never really willing to do what it takes to receive the life that Jesus has for us. So there has to be this surrender, this yieldedness to receive it. There needs to be sort of empty hands before the Lord to receive what he's got. And then likewise, the encounter piece for Isaiah, obviously, um, for him, he he encounters suddenly the the holiness and presence of God. But there's this personal, intimate moment where with with some tongues, the hot coals from the altar are taken and and his lips are touched. It's a it's a holy moment. It's a purifying moment. He encounters the God at work in him. 
And obviously, as Christians, we believe that the Holy Spirit has been sent to reveal Jesus. And it's in Jesus we find the Father. And there's this beautiful union with Christ that invites us into the Trinity. Uh, and the Holy Spirit is there to uh, to fill us and to change us, um, you know, to fill the, the, the sails of our lives. And as he does that, then he leads us into joy and grace and healthy fear and um i've just seen that time and time again yes you can have surrender but without that sense of encounter god just feels quite distant god feels like removed from your life i talk about a woman in the book who i was just discipling really recently and we uncovered this whole hidden life of sin so she was sort of hedonist on friday night and holy on sunday and she didn't actually care. And that was it was really hard to think, how am I going to disciple this lady? Because she knows better, but she just she just not like is leaning into the grace of God. God will love me anyway. And I encouraged her to spend some time in Isaiah six. And she did so faithfully for a couple of weeks and, and not actually much happened until she told me just out of the blue. And she felt the Lord speak to her and, and and he said some stunning things to her. But the the gist of it was that the devil is inviting you to eat with him every day and it needs to stop. And because it was the Lord speaking to her, she had an Isaiah-like moment where she not only experienced this woe is me, but she suddenly encountered the Lord speaking directly to her and saying, this life that you are living is wrong. It's unacceptable before me. And so encounter is, is definitely a, a part of our experience to step us into discipleship. And that together just leads to obedience. And Isaiah, for him, it's the here I am, send me. It's like my life has been changed. And so now it's yours to be used as you want. And you know, the author, Kevin DeYoung, says something like we like our sins and dying to them is painful, and almost everything is easier than growing in godliness. So we try and fail, try and fail, and then we give up. And I think that's many of our experiences when it comes to our formation, that the, it's the obedience bit that is putting legs to the encounter and the surrender. It's the, you know, obedience is about doing stuff that the Lord wants you to do. and. And so for me, the book is trying to invite people to experience those three things. So I, I like try and use every possible means to, to sort of to, to show that it's only in those things that we get to receive all the great stuff that we think our faith is about. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you for for breaking them down. And like I read them recently in the book. I've been um I've been in the Sermon on the Mount recently, and just seeing these same things popping through, like "Blessed are the poor in spirit." Like, isn't that just a, a surrender word? And today I was looking like later on in the Sermon on the Mount, and um, you know, not everyone who says "Lord, Lord" enters the kingdom, but those who do the will of the Father—that's obedience. And uh, and then some will say. Uh, I never knew you, that knowledge and encounter and uh, relationship word. And just seeing all these same things, uh, uh, I know, like Old Testament, Isaiah, 
teach of Jesus, they work through the whole New Testament. It's, it's so powerful a breakdown. Um, I was interested, like, one of the things that I, I wanted to uh, ask you, a little phrase that I thought was a good phrase you use is um, discipleship moments. And uh, we, we talk big picture uh, and what are some of the, the hallmarks to develop. But as you brought that phrase through in the book, discipleship moments, it, it brings it right down into the the everyday application. You tell a great story in the book, actually, about uh, a particular moment you had. I wonder if you'd uh, share that same story now. Uh, but then off the back of that, maybe we can talk about discipleship moments a little bit as well. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, yeah, so right in the early days of planting Mosaic, um, we were just gathering a very, very small launch team. And uh, I think it was my job to cook dinner for everyone and so uh, uh, I got out my wok and as I got it out to cook uh, the handle broke off it and so I, I needed to nip to the shops uh, to buy a new one and uh, I had we had two kids at the time so I just sort of threw them in the car and off we went and raced around the grocery store and picked up a wok and that's all I had to buy I'd already bought all the ingredients and as I lifted it out of the trolley, I've got my two kids sat in the trolley as I'm pushing them around. And as I reached into the trolley and lifted the wok onto the conveyor belt at the checkout, it had miraculously filled with water. And it was like swishing around. And I, it, it was such a bizarre moment. I was like, what is going on here? And uh, there was no one else in the queue. So I, as I put it onto the conveyor belt, the the check, uh, checkout assistant also looked in and saw it all. And she was like, what, what's that? And I, I was like, I don't know. Is it? It's just come from nowhere. And we were looking up. We we're like, is there a leak? You know, what is going on? And it and literally dawned on both of us at the same time. We both looked at our kids, well, my kids, and um, I thought, oh, no. And I, I checked the elder, and that was fine, but the younger, and for some reason, I'd just forgotten to put a nappy on the, the youngest child. And he had weed directly into the wok. And the wok had really quite miraculously captured every drop of that wee. And so, bless her, the cashier, obviously realising it was not water, suddenly, you know, we're dealing with someone's wee. And so she panics a little bit. She sort of presses her buzzer on the Thing, that her lights flashing supervisor comes over and we, I mean what do you do you can't tip it out and so we finally get a few things try and mop it up and I pay for it leave very very embarrassed and then later that night um you know with all the team round, we're eating the curry that I'd made and um I suddenly thought I've got such a funny story to tell you know you're looking for those bonding moments in those early days and I start telling this story and literally as I'm nearing its conclusion, I realized that I never washed the wok. I, I, the curry that they are all eating was made in the wok full of wee that I, I just totally forgot to wash it out. And so literally, I mean, your brain is going very fast in these moments. I'm like, what should I say? And I, I felt, and I think we all are aware of the Holy Spirit at work in these moments, just very gently saying, just be honest. Now just own up to it. And that's that's a discipleship moment. It's a it's a moment where 
you know, you, it's like a bit of an, a eureka moment where you're suddenly aware that there's something at play here that the Lord is, is using to draw out trust and faith and obedience. And that was my moment. And I'm really sorry to say, Tom, I failed utterly and completely. I, I just thought there's no chance I'm going to say. I don't want to lose these people. And I went away and, you know, I, 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 I did feel really bad. And it's obviously not a really big thing, you know, in the scheme of things. But that generally is how God works. That generally is how God forms us into his image. It's like lots of little moments where you are slowly and steadily aligning yourself to what God's best is for our lives. And, and obviously, Tom, you'll be glad to hear I did confess later on and I, we didn't lose anyone as a result of it. And I still get ribbed from time to time uh, if I ever cook again for those uh, foundational uh, members of the church but um that's what a discipleship moment does and and i think what the book tries to do is just help people connect that obviously god can use all of life and we tend to sort of often just put god into the sort of the spiritual moments or the holy moments into our quiet times and actually he wants to be at work in all of life and probably one of the biggest mistakes we make is not paying attention in those moments. 1 Timothy 4, verse 16, pay attention to your life and doctrine. There's this sense of we often just skip by and, to be honest, we forget. Uh, but actually, God really wants us in the big and small things just to work with him. And the book is trying to give you some tools then. to What do you actually do in those moments? What what, what helps you cooperate with God in those times? I love that. I, I love the vulnerability as well for the example that you give of a moment to be one where you didn't smash it out of the park. It'd be easy to put forward all the success stories and gloss over some of the ones that in the moment didn't quite go as you'd like them to have gone. But very vulnerable to, to put that out there. and uh, Commendable. Um, it's interesting thinking about the the moments because as I reflect back on on my journey th there are some moments like the one you've shared where it's really obvious there and then like this is a big one and God's very clearly leading me to do this and not that and like yourself sometimes do what I'm prompted to do and sometimes don't and then have to backtrack and uh, damage control there are other moments though aren't there that in hindsight, uh, a pretty big discipleship calls that in the moment don't seem it and don't quite have that stamp of this is it, this is the moment. And yet looking back, again, for good or for bad, wow, that was a moment that really my choice to obey or, or, or not to obey in that was powerful. How do we get better at spotting in the moment this is that and bringing all this discipleship theory onto the ground in the in the day-to-day -day life. Yeah, I think for the most part, our lives are so full that we hardly have any time to reflect. And so you're right, Tom, those things can happen when you're sort of it's very obvious, but also 
it's only through the reflection that you realize that God was at work or it was a moment that you perhaps you didn't respond very well. Your emotions were far bigger than the situation demanded or what you said to someone was unkind or the way you responded to someone while you were driving. And, 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 and there's lots could be said here, but I think probably the most simplest thing is that we need to find time where we can reflect on how we're doing. I, I, I do feel so often it's like we're in a fast moving river and we are just being swept along by life. And, you know, time goes by and we're like, I don't know what God's saying. I don't know what God's doing. I, I, I don't really feel like I'm changing at all. And it's because you've, you've never sort of swum to the bank and just taken a moment to, to, to ask, to just even chat with someone who knows you well and just to talk through what's going on in your life. You're just sort of in the middle of the current and off you go. And uh, for us, uh, uh, you know, apart from just pausing, I think the clearer you are about your story, your past, how you are wired, how you have historically reacted to these moments, equip you to be much more alive to those things in the present. And so taking that river analogy, that swimming to the shore, there's also a sense where you need to look up river to where you've come from and 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 see the sort of the impact of what I would say are sort of critical moments in your life. They don't have to be necessarily big moments, but critical moments that have shaped you and your responses and the sort of person you are and therefore how you relate to God and where you're sort of prone to not trust God, where you're prone to sin, where you are more likely to, and I really find some situations really hard and where you perhaps don't believe the truth about who you are. So um, there's lots more of that that can be said there, but um uh, perhaps those two things are a good place to start. Yeah, that's ever so helpful. Uh, what I loved uh, in the middle section of your book was how you give those tools to to do that, to to stop and to to reflect. It's easy to say, and then the follow up question is, okay, well, what does that look like? How how do I do it? And so there's a few chapters in there where you break down some really specific ways we can do that. But, uh, I just found it really helpful. And like one of them in particular ties into to what you've just been talking about and knowing your story and knowing the critical moments from your past. And it's fascinating to read that chapter, just thinking about um, the last few years of my own life and my own experience. Um, really, there's a time at the start of lockdown and I'd been going through a tough time. So I had maybe a few months before lockdown that it just felt like I was burning out a little bit. Uh, my my prayer life was struggling. It, it was one of those seasons where it felt like everything was just hitting the ceiling. Um, I'm, I'm normally a futuristic thinker. I'm dreaming. I'm having ideas. And that just stopped. And I, like the, well, what about this? Or why don't we that? just wasn't quite firing. Something something was wrong. And early on in lockdown, I've been having a few dreams like in the night, just about different things that had happened to me in the past. Like none of them 
huge in, in and of themselves, but just different things. And, um, and I realised there's a lot here that I've just never taken time to think about, to to process, to pray about. And I felt God speak to me about that. And uh, what he uh, said, what I, th- I thought he was saying to me is, over the next few weeks, take time each day and do a different chapter of your life. So write down what happened, write down what you experienced, and then try and reflect on what I was doing in that time. And then, you know, we're allowed the one walk a day during lockdown. I'll take your one walk a day and make it a prayer walk and go and pray into those things. And let me make sense of the journey you've been on. It was so incredibly helpful. I did it for a few weeks and took my life from from birth, right? Well, from, let's say from my earliest memories, the, the first things I can remember, right through to the present moment. It was so powerful. And it unlocked so many things in my present and different ways that God was challenging me to, hey, you used that this, you've lost this. Like, hey, let's get a bit of that back and try this again. And I would say that was a tool that unlocked me getting out of that funk that I was in pre-lockdown uh, and a real restorative thing. And I read that chapter in your book that was saying something very, very similar as a recommended thing. Um, is this a journey that you've taken a lot of people through that you've been discipling? Have you seen similar effects in them to what that process has had on me? And Yeah, talk a little bit about that exercise and the power that you see in it. And just say, Tom, that's so good, you know, for you. Just it feels like a real God thing, but, you know, it wasn't based on reading something, just you responding to the Holy Spirit. And and I think you're dead right. There is something about the looking back that brings understanding in the present. I mean, God used, would constantly remind Israel to, to look back, to see his works, to remember what he's done in order for them to be faithful in the present. And even, you know, in the New Testament, we're, we're encouraged before we take communion to examine ourselves, to put things right that have been wrong in the past. And um, for me, as I first got discipled, I just had no idea just how... Sort of messed up I was on the inside you know I think I'm a fairly fairly normal person and you know I, I you know fairly well adjusted I enjoyed people's company there wasn't anything you know huge red warning lights for me personally but I had these huge obstacles in the way of my relationship with God and my relationship with others, that it was only in sitting down with someone who was just a little bit ahead of me and giving me space to to try and piece my past together that I suddenly realised. So for me, um, the thread of rejection is very strong. And so every sort of significant person in my life has rejected me at some point and I was just really unaware of the impact of that and the, the fact that that means that I'm just naturally someone who wants to sort of gain people's approval and to not be rejected, but to be accepted. And that meant that I was a bit of a chameleon in my personality. It meant that 
um, I would very quickly ditch God in order to fit in and to be the person that others I, I thought wanted me to be. And and so this idea that Pete Schizero in his uh, spiritually healthy discipleship says, you know, Jesus might be in your heart, but grandpa is still in your bones. And what he's getting at there is you've not only got your history, but you've also got your family and significant others that have played their part in shaping you. And so what telling your story does is that it, it it's self-examination that leads to freedom. And so it might be freedom from destructive thought patterns or inner messages or the way we perceive things that locates where the actual fight is. And so, you know, that, that idea of an iceberg with, you know, most of it being under the waterline, we can in our Christian lives, you know, think the fight is in the presenting issues, not realizing that the actual fight is deep down in some underlying lies that we believe about God or the gospel or all about who we are in Christ. And so over the years at Mosaic, we have probably taken hundreds and hundreds of people through the storytelling process. And in the book, I just try and help people because it's a very daunting exercise. I think it probably takes quite a few goes because not everyone's memory is good and 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 it often needs some guidance of people that know you well. Um, but the power in speaking things out and retelling your story with others, what we've seen is when someone does that, then often what someone says helps someone else, you know, A, realize, oh, yeah, that happened to me. And that had a similar effect. And also, I'm not the only one, you know, because it's such a vulnerable thing to talk about that stuff with others that. We found group settings where we lead people on a journey of telling your story is tremendously empowering and enlightening. Brilliant. Uh, and that links us nicely, I think, a lot of what you've said there is another of the tools you talk about in the book, like thinking about identity, thinking about the lies that we believe. You, you talk about uh, a process that you call step in and step out as a way um, you help people challenge those lies and uh, the different things that maybe are uh, beneath the surface for some of the presenting behaviours. Um, would you be able to share a little bit about what that tool mm. is, what it looks like, how you take someone through that process? Yeah, so let me be honest. So for me, for whatever reason in my early years, I began to comfort eat. And so I've got a weird relationship with food. And the sweeter it is, the, the more comfort it brings. And so on the face of it, if you were discipling me, you might want to talk about, I don't know, perhaps when you feel like you want to buy some chocolate. And for me, do you know those really big Toblerone bars that you can buy at the airport? I know I'm doing really badly when I want to secretly buy one of those and just eat it myself. And perhaps you'd say, let's have some accountability. Let me know when you're tempted to do that and I'll help you say no. 
And that's like the presenting issue. But if we just keep things at that level, we're not actually going to get to the reason why I'm seeking comfort in chocolate than, and not God. And so what Step In and Step Out does, it's just a simple tool to help you go a bit deeper. So for me, why do I want chocolate? Well, it's because I learned in the early days because we didn't have many sweet things in the house and couldn't afford stuff. For me, it's like a, it soothes my soul when I'm not doing very well. Uh, but a better question to ask me would be, well, what, are you, what lies are you believing about the chocolate in those moments or about your comfort? And I'm probably thinking to myself, I need this to get by because uh, I'm not quite right on the inside. I need this. And, you know, that's a that's a tremendous admission. But really get to get to the heart of that as my disciple issue issue. Perhaps a really good question that step in asks is, well, what lies are you believing about God that causes you not to go to him? And go to other things, whether it's chocolate, it's, you know, everyone's got something that we go to apart from him. And probably for me, it's that God's not enough or that God can't really help me when I'm really struggling. And I'd prefer to go to something that's quick and easy, doesn't take effort and is, is immediately satisfying. And there we've sort of got to sort of the bottom of the iceberg a bit more. And it's that journey that I think people find really difficult and complicated. And most people would just talk about, oh, I've got this thing with chocolate. And actually, it's a deeper set lie. And you could apply that to lots of stuff. And so the step in journey just helps you. And I try and identify what's really going on in your heart, because it's out of the heart that the behavior flows. And so the stepping out of that place is, is, is if you've identified the lie you're believing about yourself and about God, then what truth do you need to know about God, which is the fight of faith in the moment that that Toblerone has got my name on it? No, I need to know that, you know, God is a God of all comfort. I need to know that in the presence of my enemies, God sets a table. I need to know that God opens his hands and satisfies my desires with good things. Now, the truth about me is that I am most satisfied when I go to God for those things. And what does that mean? Well, it probably means that when I'm in Aldi and I see that Toblerone, I probably just need to just remind myself of who I am and who God is. And not just white knuckle it, you know, just sort of close my eyes as I've got my trolley and I'm going past the Toblerone. There's actually a thing that needs to happen in my heart, which is more than just willpower, but it's drawing on the promises of God. It's drawing on the Holy Spirit in a way that if I wasn't aware of what was really going on, I couldn't do. And so, you know, my goal is, you know, when I, when I feel that, temptation is that I just very naturally and very readily cast my mind to who I am in Christ and what God's done for me and who he is rather than reach for this sort of the soft touch option 
So that's the step in and that's the step out. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, what I really like about what you've shared there and throughout this conversation is the first thing that you obviously very evidently done this process a lot for your own life. You've been reflecting on who you are, what's going on, what are some of the the big themes, what are some of the, the challenges, what are some things you need to pick up and believe, and you've done that. Uh, and then you've got a vision for, for sharing it, which is refreshing. We, we see a lot, I, I certainly see a lot of conversation that seems very pessimistic about the prospects of change in the Christian life. And uh, people will talk about things they struggle with now, that they struggle with the same thing for, for many years. And that hope's gone that that will ever be different. And, and yet here, there, there are practical tools, but really undergirded by a lot of faith for what God can do in, in the transformation journey in a believer's life. Have you noticed some of the same pessimism that I have in some of the conversation around this? And has that been something you've been quite deliberate in trying to push back against? Or, uh, yeah, well, what's some of your thoughts on, on that? I mean, I can feel sometimes when I enter a room and tell people that I'm speaking on discipleship, I can feel the inner groan. I, I can feel the weariness in people. I think so many of us have tried, and it's not like we've just had a little go, but many of us have tried really, really hard to change on certain things or to apply some of these principles and have ended up just feeling failures or feeling like we've, we've not moved on. We've not matured. I think there's um, a whole swathe of the church that just feels like discipleship has been over-promised and under-delivered. Just do this one thing and you'll change and the change will come quickly. And, I think I've I've really written my book for people that feel like that, and I'm hoping I'm hoping they won't ignore it and uh, feel that. Well, I, I hope I'm presenting something that is theologically rich in that it's rooted in God's desire for change to happen to us. So, you know, for for for, for those of us that really struggle with this stuff. We need to believe that God is more interested in our formation than we are. You know, Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That verb to carry on to completion, it's future tense, which means God's at work today. He's at work tomorrow, the day after that. There is this unrelenting beautiful force from heaven that's pushing us towards Christ-likeness and God's best for us, a life of joy and freedom and wholeness. So even if we've given up a little bit inside, God hasn't. You know, we're told in scripture, Peter says, you've been given everything you need for life and godliness through these precious promises. And God just wouldn't have 
made the Great Commission about making disciples if he wasn't going to provide the means for us to do that in our own lives and in the lives of others. So I spend a lot of time in the book just trying to help dig people out of sort of the hole that we've somewhat created for ourselves in order to show that there is something in the heart of God that is so for us in the discipleship arena that is so empowering that um, if we really let ourselves um, I don't know, enter into those purposes, change will happen. I do think, Tom, just, you know, speaking, you know, probably what we've done here at Mosaic that hasn't worked well is I think just a lot of preaches end with practical application. That means that people are given probably two or three things to do at the end of every preach. And so by the end of the year, we've got 150, 200 odd things that we're meant to do to step into the stuff that God's for us. And no one can do that. And so there's a weariness with being told is you're feeling busy and overwhelmed. Here's a couple more things to do. But if you do them, it's all going to be okay. And so I think I'll try as well at the same time presenting God's hope for transformation in our lives. I think I'm very honest with the, the that sense of denying ourselves and picking up our crosses in order to enter into that. And so I try and present that God is working 100% for our good, but we also need to work 100% to receive what he has for us. And I think what's happened is we've perhaps applied some of these tools in the wrong way, or we've tried to do too much too quickly, or we've expected change to happen. I joined the gym about five years ago and have been going pretty consistently and I went to lose some weight and um, I found out probably two years in that the worst thing you can do to lose weight is go to the gym so the gym is for strengthening it's for flexibility it's for perhaps growing your car your cardio getting fitter it's your diet that needs to change in order to lose weight. And so I think the reason why so many of us go to the gym with the hope of becoming more lean and toned and give up is that we've misunderstood what that tool is for and how change happens. And I think the same is true of the many of the tools that we use to become more Christ-like that we've perhaps had wrong expectations or they've been used for the wrong purpose or we've not quite fully engaged in them as we should and therefore we've been left disappointed and the book is trying to be very clear it's, it's written really it's, it's it's like an introduction to discipleship it's for everyone it's not just for leaders it's not just for uh, new christians i, I think it, it's like timeless truths hopefully described in a very accessible way that people can pick up um, and use to see transformation. That's so good. Um, yeah, God's heart for our formation. Um, and I certainly found the book is something that is accessible, that is something I could give to 
to anybody in our church and they could take it and say, yeah, this is this is for me. This is speaking right to where I'm at. So um, t- tell us a little bit then about how people can follow up from here. They want to get the book. Where's the best place to go? Are there other places that you would point people for uh, to connect with you or to connect with different things that, that you're up to? Like, where, where do people go from here? Yeah, so uh, book's available now uh, from Amazon. And so you can get the ebook or you can get the paperback. Um, but some of the tools that we've talked about, Tom, I've really wanted to make them available. And so um, there are links in the book where you can download the PDFs of Step In, Step Out, and some of the other tools that we explain. So you can print them off at home. You can use them. You can share them. You can perhaps if you've got someone in your life that, you know, you're doing a bit of accountability or just someone that knows you well, the things that you can share in together. And also at the end of every chapter, I've really tried to think carefully about the application. And so there's usually at least three, maybe more questions that help people engage with what they've read. And so in one sense, you've broken the rules, Tom, by reading it quickly over the last couple of weeks, because really there's so much there that I think you can access that um, I would so encourage people to spend some time with the questions and perhaps share those questions with others that are reading the book too. And uh, really try and maximize sort of where the book is taking you. You know, you don't really want to read this book and then move on quickly. And I know I've had a number of people that have read it now that have also said it's a really good reference book. It's a it's a book like if you're struggling with a certain thing that you there's a chapter that will probably speak into that, that you can sort of go back to and refresh your sort of your memory and pick up the tools again and go again. And so, um, uh, yeah, Metamorphosis, you, you go to Amazon and you'll be able to find it there. Excellent. And I would highly recommend everyone does just that. Um, Thanks, Tom. Let's wrap up the conversation there. Matt, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for giving up your time to do this. Uh, I just want to uh, appreciate and acknowledge uh, all that you are and all that you've taught here uh, and spoken into this. So thank you very much. And uh, everyone listening, thank you for spending time with us today. And we'll be back with you next week with more from the Broadcast Podcast. See you then.